Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wallet Media Profile. I'm Rylan Turner, and this is the, I guess, mini-series that I'm going to start trying to run uh, every so often, where I'm going to be taking a look at those of us who work with Wallet Media and beyond, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about them. I decided to start the only way I knew how, uh, by interviewing my co-host for the last four years, um, my Cousin in real life and podcast partner, Kyle Joseph. Kyle, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm. This can be interesting because I'm not really used to this whole being interviewed thing, but it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Kyle, let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into it. Uh, predominantly on this channel, we cover pro wrestling. Uh, so I want to talk about the earliest pro wrestling memory you have. Hey. So the big thing that I remember for pro wrestling is that I was sort of in and out of it, but I was, as a kid, I was definitely intrigued by it. The Attitude Era was loud and bombastic in a way that was so counter to everything else that I was sort of allowed to watch at the time. Right. Sort of the same reason I got into The Simpsons. I think that's the reason a lot of people got into The Simpsons. But specifically, because I was born in 1990, so when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, that was right in the heart of the Stone Cold era. And so, you know, me being this young kid watching uh, Stone Cold and The Rock and Kane and The Undertaker and Edge and Christian, Jericho and that whole collection of people, Kurt Angle, that was... Very fascinating to me. It is something that I definitely sort of always kept my eyes on a little bit. It was tricky because we were not a family that was ever going to buy pay-per-views for a multitude of reasons. But so, you know, things would happen and I would never know about them or whatever it was. And I was not following, like I wasn't watching weekly or anything like that. But right back in the day, in Canada at least, it was on cable. Like it was on TSN, I think, at the time you get all your wrestling stuff. So it was not hard to find, you know, on a Monday evening or whatever it happened to be. So for the WWE stuff or WWF at the time, I guess that's sort of how I was starting to get into it. WCW, I did not even really know about watch or care about the first introduction I had to WCW was the video game WCW versus NWO revenge, which this is a fun story. We only got that game because my mom and I went to Microplay at the time. This would have been, God, 98, 99, somewhere around there. And Microplay, we were trying to get an N64. We had a Super Nintendo at the time. I had a Super Nintendo from when I was really, really young, uh, like three or four. So video games were always sort of a part of, of my life growing up. And... We were going to buy an N64 from the place, but they were very expensive at the time and the controllers weren't very good or whatever. And this group of people came into the store and were sort of back and forthing with the person who was behind the counter because they were trying to sell their N64 and couldn't get a good price on it. And they were looking for a hundred bucks for an N64, three controllers and four video games. And Microplay would not give that to them. So. Yeah, we just paid them a hundred dollars 
and went home with those games at the time the games were Star Fox 64, Wave Race 64, 1080 Snowboarding, and WCW NWO Revenge. And I still have a nostalgic feeling towards all those games, but Revenge just kind of stood out to me as this really bizarre thing that was going on. And these characters were so odd. And what were they doing? And what were they about? And yeah. And sort of as some of them came over to WWF, I started to get to know who they actually were, like Jericho and load that I'd say like Benoit at the time. And obviously being Canadian, you always sort of supported the Canadian people, but it wasn't until later that I sort of got into WCW and figured it out. But I fell off of wrestling for a long time before that. Right. So uh, let's talk about it. We've talked about numerous times on our programs uh, that your reintroduction to wrestling was watching Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega battle it out in the Tokyo Dome. I'm pretty sure that's your reintroduction into wrestling. So my first reintroduction into wrestling, I will say, is WWE 2K20, uh, 2K16. Okay. That was the video game that came out. I hadn't played a WWE or a wrestling video game in a while. I did always enjoy them. I played a couple on the GameCube. I had, I think, WrestleMania 18 for yes. the GameCube. Yes, you did. We played that quite a lot and made characters, and it was a lot of fun. It was very funny because... At the time, Christian's theme song was him, Christian, Christian, at last you're on your own. So my brother Christian, we always got a kick out of uh, of playing that. Um, as he was like walking around and stuff, that was very fun. But so it was always sort of around, but I never, there was a generation that I missed for, for even the wrestling video games. I just sort of fell off wrestling entirely. It was a sports fan. So that was a lot of my video gaming time. But 2K was primarily at the time, you know, their biggest thing was N- NBA. They also made a wrestling video game. And I saw that they had Stone Cold on this thing and they had a whole Stone Cold mode. So I figured, you know what? This is as good a time as any to check it out. I think I had it, got it for pretty cheap on sale and played it and really enjoyed it. I got back into it, did the career mode, which wasn't a great career mode at all. It was that, that my player mode was, was bad. Bare bones, my friend. Oh yeah. But that's what, you know, how I started into NXT. Like I figured I, you know, at the time in the video game, the NXT roster was like, Tyler Breeze and R-Truth and Stardust and Enzo and Big Cass. I think they, they had some bigger names there too. Like, you know, I think that was the, the Finn Balor, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, that kind of collection at the time was right around that era, or at least in the video game it was. And so I started to see some of these people and find out who they were and you know whenever wrestling was on in in a, a different environment whatever it happened to be i'd recognize some of the people I, I knew who bray wyatt was i knew who tyler breeze was i knew who whomever and some of the other you know actual main stars from the video game and so the thing that brought me into wrestling proper though as you said was finding out the kenny omega who i had vaguely heard of at the time was going to be wrestling Chris Jericho. I basically knew the two things I knew about Kenny Omega was that he was from Winnipeg and that he was considered to be this God tier wrestler. And I watched that on a terrible stream (laughs) that I found to watch that match. And 
oh, blew me away. I was I was blown away by that match. How and going back to it, I even I didn't even really get the the entire history of the, of the match or the build or anything like that. It was just something I had to check out, and I did check it out, and I enjoyed it greatly. And so, right around that same time, you were suggesting that we should get into doing a podcast, and it was an endeavor that we tried to do about four different times through through it, and I ended up getting the network. I watched WrestleMania. I think the well, the first thing we tried to do was WrestleMania 34, which was an absolutely cursed show. Yes. Really terrible show. But it was entertaining in a car wreck kind of way. Even if elements of it were very boring. I, I and by that point, you know, I was playing the wrestling games more frequently by that point. I by uh, I think after I think 2018. Thereafter, I bought it every year up until the one that was a tire fire. I did not purchase that one. I'm glad that I didn't. But as soon as they talked about the developer was leaving in the middle of the production cycle, I immediately knew that that was going to be a train wreck. So I wanted nothing to do with that. But yeah, I was an annual purchaser of the game. I always sunk a lot of hours into it. I enjoyed it. The career mode has had its ups and downs, but generally has been relatively enjoyable. My universe was always pretty fun. And then that brought me back into watching wrestling. And then once we decided to do the podcast, I was watching NXT or AEW Dynamite every week. And NXT during that time was really the thing that solidified my understanding that I really love wrestling. Like takeover new Orleans to me is an untouchable show. That was for those who, who, who don't remember, that was the six man ladder match for the North American championship. The, the initial, the inaugural North American championship victory by Adam Cole. That show was, I'm trying to remember it all. Uh, the tag team match between Adam Cole and I want to say Kyle O'Reilly at the time, because I think Bobby Fish was hurt. And there's a triple threat match, and it was Pete Dunne and Roddy Strong, and Roddy Strong betrayed Pete Dunne and formed the the Undisputed Era. So there was that chaos. There was the Walter versus. No, that was not Walter versus Pete Dunne. Who else was in that show? Do you remember? Uh, was that not Champa Gargano? Like, they... oh, you're right. Yes. So it was uh, Shayna Baszler and Ember Moon, which was a great match that people sleep on. It was Aleister Black and Andrade Cien Almas, which was a fantastic match that people sleep on. And then obviously the Gargano Champa won, which to me remains the best of that of that series. Yes. So that's that's a heck of a show. And then, you know, finding out all the storylines that went along with it, getting back into wrestling, seeing some of the people that I really enjoyed, seeing Canadians that were finding success. This is right around the time that Kevin Owens was really becoming a thing on the main roster. And the stuff that would follow with him and Chris Jericho thereafter, the stuff, you know, Sami Zayn being a pretty big deal, even if that sort of fell apart. And then you started to get into other people. 
Shinsuke Nakamura. I just like the graduates and everything like that. And then once AEW came along and I'm getting to know who the indie wrestlers are and getting to know this new, this style of wrestling that I really, really enjoy the athletic new Japan esque style of wrestling that AEW comes to inhabit. Sort of a culmination of I think new Japan and ring of honor are kind of their, their, um, feeding places but they they do get influence from all over and yeah that was that was sort of my my big introduction back into it and then i just sort of kept doing it for better or for worse and here i am so moving away from wrestling uh kyle and me if we were a wrestling commentary team i believe definitely i would be the color commentary to kyle's play-by-play it's something that everyone's always said during the time that we've podcasted podcasted together in fact one of my favorite reactions was my own dad listening to our very first episode and his response was your cousin kyle's really got something going on there (laughs) um but one thing kyle has always been known for is his ability to uh withhold stuff like sports statistics and just uh, has an amazing mind for the world of sports so one thing after a couple years of podcasting that kai and i ventured off into was trying to do a little bit of a sports show now it started as my idea of trying to learn a little bit more about sports and it's kind of changed over the years that we've been doing it into friday morning lights kyle what's your earliest sports memory Oh God! Um, <laughs> is it is it those Jays winning the the back to back championships? No, because I don't remember that. I always I am told that I was watching and I was cheering. But I was, uh, the Jays won their last championship. I would have just turned three. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I loved watching sports as a kid. The earliest stuff I can sort of remember is the for baseball is the immediate seasons after the lockout. As I don't remember the the baseball strike that happened in ninety four. I, I have no memory of that. But I remember, you know, like ninety six is when I started really following it. And the Blue Jays in those years were really hard to watch because this is the time of the Yankees empire re-emerging as this nightmare collective that they put together. <laughs> Funny story about that. That was the period where George Steinbrenner was locked out of the league, was short, like the early 90s. And so what happened was they were able to assemble some prospects and those prospects would go on to become, you know, Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera. And some of the guys that became, and Pettit became foundational to the Yankees empire. And he wasn't able to trade them away because he wasn't there. Cause that was his big thing was to trade away prospects to get, you know, top talent. But so I remember those blue Jays teams. I remember God, and pull off the the names of of some of those players. I remember the 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 late career of Ed Sprague. I remember Carlos Delgado carrying that those teams early on, and just the frustration every year of them sort of being in it by September. By the time my birthday came around, my birthday's in the middle of September. It was their season was over at that point. They were ten, eight, ten, whatever games out of a wild card spot. And so I would hope every year that they'd make the playoffs and every year they disappoint me. They won when I was three in the championship. Their next playoff appearance, by the way, I was 25. 
Um, so for me, sports was something that you did because you loved it. Like my, my mom is a huge sports fan. My dad to a degree, though, he's more of a, a fan of, of sports that I necessarily didn't necessarily get into wholeheartedly when I was a kid, like, you know, cricket and, and, and later soccer as well. But sports was something that you did because you loved the teams and you loved to follow them. I think my first sports memory that I really remember is when the Jets left. I watched their last game. I was at a, a birthday party of a friend of mine who I do not remember. And this was 95, 96. So this would have been just before my sixth birthday. And I remember people like sad about it. But to me, it was like, oh, they just got knocked out by the Red Wings again. That happened. Like, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm told. This happens every year. But lo and behold, there weren't any any Jets anymore the, the following season. And so I think that was a, a blow for the city. Not that the Jets were something that can necessarily have carried on in that old NHL model. But I watched the in the CFL, for those who are in the know, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Their last championship victory, I was two months old. They didn't win again until 2019. I can tell you there are three great cup appearances in between them, and I can remind, go through all of the pain of, of those moments if if, need, if it need be recounted. Like that's, But those early moments, I think 96 is kind of when it, when it uh, rounded out to me. I remember the Jets leaving. I remember the Blue Jays missing the playoffs again. I remember the 96 Olympic Olympics in Atlanta. I remember Donovan Bailey and the four by 100 relay team that won gold. A lot of that kind of stuff. And I, I just, I remember devouring sports content and then being, I remember watching Jeff Stoughton win the, the briar for, if there are any curling fans, Lord knows, you know, the Americans probably have completely lost me with, with those words, but yeah, that's that was kind of the big thing. Was I just sort of, it was always on. Sports was always something that was on TV, so that was what I was always watching. Totally, totally fair. Kyle, what is your favorite film and why? Oh, God. Oh, that is a hard one. I get torn between a couple when I think of my favorite film. But my favorite film is probably still Goodwill Hunting. It was not a movie that I watched at the time, to be clear. I would have been seven when it came out, I think. And it would have been too early for me at that time. But I was younger than I probably should have been for how, like, surprisingly dirty that movie actually is. Is it surprising if Ben Affleck and Matt Damon wrote it? <laughs> well, no, I know that. But I'm like, I'm just saying, you know, for the, if you get the, the Coles notes of the subject matter, um, it doesn't seem like it would be a... It seems like it would be a heavy movie, but it doesn't seem like it would be a particularly dirty one. But obviously, yeah, it was. But no, that performance by everyone, Matt Damon's performance, uh, Robin Williams' performance in that movie. He won an Oscar for that, did he not? Yes, he did. Uh, And they won for writing as well. And it was uh, really, really good. Um, And I was... Like, I wasn't, like, you know, a genius or anything like that. But I definitely related to the idea of feeling out of place as a person who, you know, was 
who look was was smart and, and did well in class and stuff like that and felt like I was kind of ostracized for it at, at, at different times in my life. So so there there's a relatability to it, even if uh, the experiences were incredibly different. I think you're underselling yourself, Kyle. I, I do definitely think that you are a genius. Uh, um, and it's honestly, when it comes to any sort of information about anything, the one of the first people I go to is always you. Uh, Kyle, I don't want to talk politics too, too much, but you are politically inclined. You are politically mm-hmm. forward. Um, what's the hardest thing to deal with in politics in your position as somebody who is a volunteer and is a supporter and a voter? What's the hardest thing to deal with in 2023? The notion, the the one that always gets me and the, the notion that always, always really bothers me is sort of the twofold is that, oh, they're all the same or that it doesn't matter what, what I do, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, whoever is in charge doesn't really matter. And I understand that apathy and, you know, rejection of politics to a degree because it is a very frustrating endeavor. The reality of democracy is we do not choose democracy for its efficiency. If you want a government that is wholly efficient, you want a dictatorship. The problem with that is then you are beholden to the whims of a single human being. And that's always bad. But the reality of it is that there are differences, even if they're not immediately obvious, even if they're not super affecting to you on a personal level, there are going to be differences. And there are political changes that happen in our lives that have an effect, if not on ourselves, then on other people. And I think the best way, if you want to sort of like get into it, as it were, if you want to see politics affected on on a, a level where you can physically see it, I would suggest looking into local politics a little bit. Find out who your school trustee is. Find out who your city councilor is. If you've got local problems, contact them. Let them know what these what these situations are. If there's you know streets out of place or con- consistently mean pothole issues or you know, problems in the library or unsafe, whatever it happens to be, a, a park that's falling apart. These things do make a difference. And there are, the biggest thing that I think I've found when I've gotten into politics is that as much as there is reverence or hatred for the people who are involved in politics, the, the politicians themselves, they are at the end of the day human beings and they are subject to the same human desires and flaws that we all are and that comes out on a grander scale because there's a lot more going on there's you know giant bureaucracies behind these things but yeah there there is an element of it where it feels removed from us and even if it feels that way it still has an effect on your life whether and choosing to remove yourself from it doesn't remove you from the consequences of those effects. Kyle, what uh, is your favorite book? Boy, um, it's difficult to say. So when I was in grade 12, I took um, an advanced placement uh, English course, which was basically doing college credit uh, while I was in, in in high school. I, By the way, I did not get that credit. English was not my strong suit. But... 
we read just one after another depressing book after depressing book after depressing book like we read 1984 that year i think we read jane Eyre, which is a very like depressing book gulliver's travels is remembered for a giant guy on an island of much smaller people it is uh not really that it is a fascinating satirical work but the big one for me was Cry the Beloved Country. It is not a horribly well-known book in the, the pantheon of a lot of these other things. It is a story told in pre-apartheid or sort of on the precipice of apartheid South Africa. It is written by a man by the name of Alan Patton. There's a movie of it for some of that I, I've watched as well that was interesting, but it is a very sad story. It's unsurprising given the the time frame and where we we were talking about at the time. But there's some interesting optimism. There's some interesting connection between people who feel out of place. And even though I'm not a particularly religious person, it is probably the most interesting. Um, there's a religious message to it as well, even if it's not like baked into the story. It's it's interesting. It's one of those books that just always sort of resonated with me. Kyle, who would you rather hang out with, Martin Scorsese or Kevin Smith? Oh God, I don't know. I th I'm going to say probably Martin Scorsese, just because I don't know that I. Like, I wouldn't be able to connect with either one, but I feel like with Scorsese, I'd have enough to go on to just like want to pick his brain about stuff. Whereas Kevin Smith, I just don't know that I would connect to him to begin with. And I don't have a, a deep like connection to his work. I was never, you know, I, I, I was never a Jane Silent Bob person. I was never a clerks person. Like I've seen clerks. I just wasn't, you know, it, it's, that's good. It's just, not quite my thing. I think it's a time and a place thing. I think. Yeah, there's I, no. Element I remember watching that film as a youngster and not really getting it, and getting it more as an adult. Um, and that's when I like he's he's a favorite of mine. And the reason I ask is because there's a big argument in film right now that Marvel movies have ruined cinema, and Martin Scorsese has definitely been. Uh, a big proponent in getting that message out there, whereas I feel like the opposite would be Kevin Smith, who kind of waited for this moment where he read comic books his whole life, and and now we're in the era where comic books dominate the the uh, the film industry. Uh, do you think that Marvel has ruined cinema? No, but it. Huh. So there is a fascinating YouTube documentary series called Fighting in the Age of Loneliness, which is uh, the story of the history of basically competitive fighting. It is the story of the foundation of mixed martial arts and the UFC and what, and what it sort of became. And there's a, a feeling at the end of it. I'm, I'm going to get this quote incorrect, but I do want to try to get it as close as I can. Basically, what he said, the final piece was about, the final part of it was basically about how the UFC had become such a huge company that it had eroded all of the things that fighting fans found joy in from the UFC in their earlier days. 
And he said, if you've taken any, if you are not a fan of this and you will take anything away from this, this will happen to the you. This is going to happen to everything that you love. It's not just our stupid blood sport. You're fucked too. And I kind of love that because there's an element of it. Like, I mean, it is cynical, certainly, but there's an element of it that is just like, the problem isn't that Marvel movies are getting made because the reality is you look at stuff like, let's say, Into the Spider-Verse which is a movie um, that I have not seen, but but people seem to be completely raving over it. There is art within that space, but it is the reality of big budget anything is it is going to be brought to a, a certain lowest common denominator just because you need as many people as possible to watch these movies in order for them to be successful. Like I hear people talking about the star Wars um, movies, the, the new ones as unsuccessful. And I did not enjoy those movies. I thought, the, I thought uh, episode seven, I thought was a perfectly fine star Wars movie. And I enjoyed the acting, especially of the, the younger characters. I thought, uh, Daisy Ridley and John Boyega did a fantastic job of it, of especially given what they were given. But and Adam Driver too gets way too much hate. Uh, he was fantastic in those movies. But the reality is that huge budget anything means what it is going to be is going to be reduced to a lowest common denominator, and all of the art of it is going to be removed in place of something that people can appreciate. It's one of the things that's very frustrating about a Marvel movie watching it is that tension always needs to be cut with humor because it cannot be that people can sit uncomfortably in a theater and not, and feel like they have to, you know, feel emotions in that moment. There has to be something to cause levity for that. And that works for some people, and I'm not going to knock anybody who enjoys those movies or anything like that. It's just not for me. Uh, same thing with, you know, AAA gaming to a degree. There's a lot of games that are just not for me. But there's still stuff that is. There's still movies that are being made. Fewer now because it's expensive to release a movie, but there's still stuff being created that is very, very good. And... For those who have fallen off of movies or have fallen off of like Netflix shows or whatever it is, my suggestion to you is go into YouTube. You'd be surprised at the quality of stuff that you're going to be able to find because there are still artists and creators out there who are very, very passionate about what they do and working largely independently and have visions for being able to accomplish, you know, surprising, artistic and beautiful things. And the medium might have changed to some degree just because, you know, movies are super expensive to make and TV shows have the, the issue of how do you, you find that audience in a world that isn't watching cable in the same way. But there's still stuff that's being created that's very, very good. And you can find movies and video games, and TV shows and, and videos and all kinds of stuff, podcasts that you still love that aren't, you know, haven't necessarily been touched by the realities of the corporate machine. But if you like something, don't feel bad for liking it necessarily. There's limits to that, of course. But for Marvel movies, certainly, there's no reason for anybody to feel bad about liking a Marvel movie. 
What's your favorite podcast? Oh God. Or, or I guess that's, that's a, that's a vague question. How about what's the podcast you're listening to the most right now? I mean, so I'm going to make this and it's going to sound narcissistic, but I do have a point for this. And I, I do think it's very fascinating. The podcast I listen to the most is ours. I'm and with you on that one. I'm with you. The reason I do it is I remember of all places this is on Jimmy Fallon's show. Uh, Blake Griffin was being interviewed about his life transitioning to becoming a stand-up comic. And one of the things that he said was that he watches and or listens to or whatever every show that he does. Like he reviews it and goes through it and hears it. And Fallon was just floored by that notion because as a comic, that's just not something that you do. You do a show and then forget it. But what he said was, I have grown up in a sports world where what we did was every you know, game that we ever played, we would go into a room all together as a team and sit and watch it. And all of the moments, the, all of your biggest mistakes and your worst moments were pointed out during this review. Like that was what you had to go through was every mistake that you made was specifically singled out. And, you know, you had to go through what it is you should have done and what it is you need to work on. But what that does is for me, the biggest benefit to listening to my podcasts, I feel like there's things that I still am trying to work on and change and fix and get better. And for me, the biggest benefit to it was I no longer hate the sound of my voice. Right. Like I listen to myself doing podcasts and I can listen to myself talk and it doesn't immediately, you know, shake me. And I know that's the thing for a lot of people is hating the sound of their voice. Well, if you've listened to yourself talk for like a hundred hours... Uh, you eventually just get, it's just going to become another voice. And for me, I can hear all of the mistakes that I make and all the things that I would like to get better at. And that drives me to want to get better. It keeps it in my mind so that I want to improve. If you're talking about podcasts that do not involve me, I have a few. I have a few people I've been involved with for different reasons. I love Hit Parade, Chris Melanthi's music podcast. Uh, the breakdown of music history, particularly pop music history, is really fascinating to me. So I particularly love that. Uh, the Shutdown Full Cast is probably my favorite sports podcast out there. Um, it is more of a culture podcast than it is an actual X's and O's podcast. But it is really fascinating. And the the hosts have an interplay that is is very, very entertaining. Uh, Bomani Jones, I'm a huge fan of in the sports world. I listen to some D&D stuff, too, because I am a giant nerd. Other stuff like, you know, I, I got into Serial when it happened. I still listen to This American Life on occasion. There's other shows like that that I'll, I'll fade into in and out. But, yeah, those are those are the types of things I, I sort of enjoy. Kyle, if you could describe the, the uh, genre of music new metal with one word, what would it be? God, I'm trying to find the right word, and I don't know. Um, do you? Uh, and and uh, a follow up question to that too is: Do you think that it's looked at in too much of a negative aspect? Do you think that creativity was stifled because of the fact that the thought process was it was music made for you know straight white college men? I think the thing about it, and it's the problem with music trends in general is that you look at the modern pop landscape. 
we are trying to find the music industry is desperately trying to find the next little Nas X is desperately trying to find the next Billie Eilish. And sometimes you kind of just have to recognize, I've, I'd said this when we talked about in world's funniest, um, which is going to come out later about Nirvana is how long the industry tried to find the next Nirvana or the same thing with, uh, early rap, how hard the industry looked for the next like Biggie or Tupac or whatever it happened to be Jay-Z. And it creates a feigned authenticity. It is the next people that come along feel more like studio creations than they feel like actual human beings who have something to say. And it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of the same thing of, of the Roman Reigns, uh, experiment that WWE tried to do in the early days is Roman Reigns never felt like a person. And it's so bizarre for a person who has a wrestling family history, who had cousins who were actively on the roster, who, you know, was this fascinating person behind the scenes who had come from the outside of wrestling as well. There's a, there's an, a perspective of an outsider coming in that is always very, very interesting. Like came from professional football, has all of these wrestling family members and history and people who really wanted to do this and, and got into it through that. But the story they told was that Roman Reigns is cool and is and wins. And they tried to create this character. They, they gave him blue contacts because they didn't think his actual, like Vincent think his actual eyes were baby face enough. Like, this is true of everything is there is the first people that come along and, and do a thing the, to the trendsetters or whatever it is, will have a specific reason that they're trying to do that. And then there'll be a bunch of bands that come along or a bunch of artists or a bunch of wrestlers or whoever it happens to be. And people will try to pigeonhole them into a thing just because that's what they think the people that the industry wants. And there's some success to it, but for me, new metal is I I will say this. I cannot abide by new metal. I think that <laughs> I will say the word I'm going to choose is angstacular. <laughs> but the reality is is that that the fact that it arose from stuff like like the chili peppers that we went from that to new metal and there, there are like stops in between there's you know two and a degree green day there's lincoln park and some of those early like you know pop punk i guess is the word that we use bands but that it led to new metal kind of growing into this into what it was the fact that it's gone very very quickly is kind of a sign of of what the staying power of it was as a genre which isn't to say there weren't talented musicians as a part of it and just i think a lot of people were just kind of put into a box that didn't make sense for them there's a lot of rappers who are in that same category and especially in the like the mid 90s uh, or the you know, late 90s early 2000s or pop divas oh god there are so many people who are put in a box that they did not fit in just because that was chasing trends. Kyle, who would you rather hang out with, Guy Fieri or Anthony Bourdain? Oh, God. Um, 
probably Bourdain, but it's like I would enjoy hanging out with both for very different reasons. Right. But I, I feel like um I feel like I would get more in a from a long term perspective out of uh meeting having or being able to meet Anthony Bourdain. But I think I would have a great time with Gaffietti anyway, so I don't think there's a bad answer necessarily. But Bourdain would be my answer. Okay. All right. Uh, last question before I begin the questionnaire. Kyle, uh, we talked a little bit about hip-hop. Uh, I know your basic feelings about the uh, the man, uh, Marshall Mathers, Eminem. Uh, do you think <clears throat> the man gets a lo- uh, unnecessary hate, or do you think it's proportionately placed on the guy? No. Nah. I'm going to raise a point when I'm, cause I'm going to, I'm going to tread carefully with him. Cause Marshall Mathers is one of those guys who people who love him, love him beyond like, it's an ally. He's an ally. Iverson. There's people who love him and that love is a feeling more than it is necessarily like the consumption of his music. For me, the point I'm going to make is, um, do you know the most popular rap, the highest selling rap album of, of the eighties? Uh, was it something by run DMZ? Uh, no, no, no. It was, um, licensed to by the Beastie Boys. Okay. Okay. In the nineties, it was, I'm trying to remember. God, I had a point to make, but I cannot. I cannot remember the actual details of this. The point is basically, the most popular rap albums for the '80s, '90s, and 2000s were done. Oh, so that's what it is. The '90s was uh, Vanilla Ice album was the Vanilla Ice the self titled album was the number the highest one in the '90s, and then the Marshall Mathers project was the highest one in the 2000s. Um, Eminem is talented and he's very good at what he does and he has a number of songs that are very very impressive both technically and sonically I do think he gets elevated to a degree and it's hard to separate the fact that race might have something to do with it right do you think he acknowledges that I think I don't think that like the reality of of Eminem is, um, I don't want to say that he doesn't see race. I don't think that's true. But I think there is an element where the reality is he grew up alongside that. Like he did grow up poor in Detroit, and what that means is the reality of what that means. Or you know, um, not Detroit, but like somewhere around there. And the reality of what that means is that you're encountering a lot of black people and absorbing a lot of black culture. I'm never going to say that Eminem isn't authentic. He absolutely is. But I do think for the people who are fans of his, there is an element of, you know, there, especially during like the, the like slim shady stuff of the nineties. I do think he found his sound later in life. Right. Um, I think there are a lot of people who hold him to a higher degree because they feel like they can relate to more than they probably actually can. Very eloquently said. All right, Kyle, I've I've, uh, taken up a lot of your time here. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. I have... 
10 questions to ask you before we get out of here. <clears throat> These 10 cool. questions originally came from the French series Boulogne de Culture, hosted by Bernard Prevost, but more famously, in my opinion, brought up on the show Inside the Actor's Studio by host James Lipton. They are 10 very important questions to me. You've asked me these questions, and in going back and listening to my answers, I wish I would have taken it more seriously. So, with that being said, Kyle, number one, what is your favorite word? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. I like the word eloquent. I like when a word sounds like what it means. <laughs> it <makes sense. laughs> I, I, I hear it. I hear it. I definitely hear it. Um, what's your least favorite word? Oh, my least favorite. Uh, excluding slurs, like as a, just as a, just sonically as a word. Um, Oh, I don't know. Well, there's a there's a few like thrown together words. Like, I don't know, um, pleathers or pleather or jorts, like stuff like that. Some of the port lazy portmanteaus. Um, not a, not a big fan of. Okay, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? The time that I get lost is when there's it's hard to explain it's there's a problem or something that i need to do that is going to take just a lot of my focus to be able to do it's sort of why i got into i'm a you know computer programmer by my profession that's kind of why i got into it was was just like problems coming along that really just pull me in what turns you off Deadlines, requirements, like the, um, the feeling that what I'm doing doesn't isn't actually important. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> My favorite one. Um, I mean, it's probably fuck. Like, it's there's just something to it that the the other ones can't really compete with it it's so multifaceted as a word there's so many different reasons to use it um it's it's a good word what sound or noise do you love i mean music but it's not really a sound per se um there's something that can get into like the background, like the drone of um, like a, the sound of like a vacuum in a distance, or some sort of like buzzing of some kind, like that. That kind of, I when it can, comes into a drone and just sort of like fades into the background. There's something I enjoy. What sound or noise do you hate? I do this way too often because just of how the way I walk, but that squeaking sound when um, shoes sort of slide improperly against the floor. That, oh, that you must hate going thing. to basketball live. Oh, it's an experience. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I always wanted to get into voice acting. I, I really wish I had tried to make that pursuit when I was younger. What profession would you not like to do? Yeah, it's lazy as an answer as it is. Like manual labor. I just, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I am not, I don't have that, that stick to itiveness with it. 
And finally, Kyle, the last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Look, I'm as surprised as you are. <laughs> Kyle, this has been a lot of fun, and I, I was, I'm really happy that you uh, were able to sit down with me. And this is, like I, uh, I mentioned uh, earlier this week, this is our replacement show for WrestleQuizdom this month. Uh, you're definitely going to hear this again. I want to sit down with, with RJ and DK and, uh, and discuss more about them as well, as well as, uh, you know, like... Uh, other people in the industry that we've had a chance to talk to. I, I, I really love sitting down and interview, interviewing people. Kyle, you said at the beginning that you weren't sure how this was going to go. How do you think it went? I think it went, I think it went pretty well. I, I, I appreciated getting to, to talk about stuff. And the reality is with me, as you're finding out in this very moment, if you get me talking, I can go for a very long time. <laughs> this is true, but we love it here. Kyle, I'm not going to throw to you for social medias because I'm hosting today. You're the guest. So if you want to find any of our stuff, check it out on Twitter at WN or sorry, at Wallet Media. On Instagram, Wallet Media, Facebook, Wallet Media, Threads, Wallet Media. God, we got lots of stuff going on. We got lots of great content coming out. November is going to be a busy month and then December will be here. And let me tell you. We've got a lot of great stuff coming for December. So with all that being said, everybody, thank you so much for sitting down with us for the last near hour. Stay calm and wallop on. You've been listening to a Wallop Media podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Wallop Media. The hosts of our shows are Rylan, Kyle, and DK. You can find Rylan on Twitter at Rylan Wallop and Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Wallop. Production is by RJ Spearin. You can find his work at facebook.com slash spearkingco. Logo designs are by Maisie Mulder. You can find her work on her website, maisiemulderdesigns.com. Our podcasts are hosted by Acast. You can listen to them on the podcast catcher of your choice or on our website, shows.acast.com slash wallopmedia.